Peace, family. Welcome back to another episode of the Foundation Podcast. This episode features a conversation with owner of Basketball Spotlight LLC, Mike Melton, as he shares an incredible story of how he built a foundation in sobriety by conquering an alcohol addiction that nearly claimed his life. Melton is a product of Trenton, New Jersey, and a graduate of Keene University, who began an early teaching career shortly after graduation. Melton begins the interview by explaining how he was introduced to alcohol during his freshman year of college and how his alcoholism began to progress in his early years of teaching, unbeknownst to him. Melton even shares a story about how he flipped his car in a car crash and he took it as a sign that he was invincible and should keep drinking. Melton then shifts the conversation of this story to the story of his wife's murder. Melton's story is credibly compounded, not only by the fact that his wife was murdered, but by he was the one who found her. And to add insult to injury, he was named as the number one suspect. During years of suspicion, not only from police and prosecutors, but family, friends, employers, and just about anybody else who came in contact with Melton around this time, Melton was forced to resign from his teaching position as the school diagnosed him with PTSD, which precluded him from continuing his educational career. All of these circumstances actually exacerbated Melton's alcoholism as he leaned on the bottom for a crutch, understandably so, in a very tough time in life. The first part of the two-part episode ends with Melton sharing a story about how his drinking got so progressive after the trial that one occasion he thought his friend was an actual demon. He even discusses the complications of rehab as he shares a story about how he left rehab and on that same night went to a strip club to have a drink. This is when Melton tells us that he drops to his knees and begs God to help him find a way out and vows to change his life. On part two of this episode, we learn how Melton navigated that journey back to sobriety. Um, As always, see if there's anything that you can find in Melton's story that can help you build on your journey. And as well, in this episode, we really ask that everyone kind of takes his story with empathy as we all at some point in our life um, go through certain things and um, don't need any judgment. But um, as always, family, keep building. Peace. All right, family, welcome to another episode of The Foundation. On this episode, we got a very special guest, Mike Melton, today. Um, and today, Mike is going to talk to us a little bit about how he built the foundation and actually um, regaining his sobriety um, and reclaiming uh, his life from, from a drinking problem. Um, but he's going to tell us uh, a lot about how he grew up and pretty much how he kind of, you know, got started working and, and realized that, you know, this this was a problem and it was something that he needed to change um, with hopes of you know, somebody listening to this, maybe they can, um, maybe they're going through something similar. Maybe they have another type of problem of their own, but maybe listening to some of the strategies and the tips that Mike um, implemented to gain his sobriety, um, someone else can, can, can take from that. So without further ado, 
I introduce our guest, Mike Melton. What's up, brother? How you doing today? I'm doing good, man. How you doing, man? It's a pleasure to be on your platform. Um, I knew you for years. One of my former students when I taught at Red Bank Middle School. Um, I'm just on here really to get my experience, strength, and hope. And hopefully some people can learn from some of the things that I went through. Um, I grew up in Trenton, New Jersey. Um, you know, urban area. Trenton is small, small city. Um, capital New Jersey, but it's a small city. Grew up typical. Grew up in uh, Lincoln Homes Projects. Then I moved to, no, first I grew up on Princeton Avenue. Then it was, now it's Martin Luther King Boulevard. Then I moved to the projects, Lincoln Homes. And when you were young, who'd you live with? Did you live with your mom and your dad? Yeah, nah, nah, single parent mom. Uh-huh. You know, the usual inner city story, single uh-huh. parent mom. And my mom, um, my mom and dad had me when they were 16. My mom used to live upstate New York. And then okay. her family moved to Trenton because that's the place where the businesses was. Trenton was known for factories and stuff like that back then. Oh, so she so, went to work. Yeah, yeah, her, her. Her mom and and my aunts and all of them came down to Trenton. That was the place everybody wanted to move for opportunity back then. Oh man, you know? that's what's up. Yeah, yeah. So once we got in Trenton, um, that's where I grew up at. Went to Trenton Public Schools. Went to Trenton High School. I was a, I played mostly sports, baseball, mm-hmm. basketball, and and um, I was a, a very good in baseball. Oh, I was really? a baseball star. Yeah, I was a baseball star in high school, oh, American Legion and all that kind of stuff. Yeah. Oh, okay, so did you were you looking at trying to go further with baseball or was that Yeah, I was kind of like I ain't gonna lie, I didn't develop the work ethic in terms of um training. So first I went to St. Peter's on an academic scholarship. Okay. And then um and where's St. Peter's? That's in Florida? Jersey City. Oh, Jersey City, okay. St. Peter's College for uh base uh for academic scholarship. And I was playing baseball, but in St. Peter's was the first time I ever struggled academically. So oh, really? I stopped I stopped doing baseball to focus on my academics. Okay. And um once I was in college, that's when that that part of my life, it was my first time being away from home and my first time struggling academically. I remember I got a, a twenty seven on the test. Ooh. And I took it to the lady, and I was like, um, is this real? And she was like, yeah, it's real. <laughs> and so, <laughs> so I had... <laughs> <laughs> I know if it was some, some type of curve or something. I didn't know what was going on. <laughs> you got to understand, coming out of high school, I was an honor roll student. Uh-huh. You know what I mean? But our curriculum was so low that I never developed study habits. Mm. You, was just you know what I mean? Just do it, the work. Yeah, yeah. So now I'm in college, going here and do what I need. I come home crying to my mom, and I'm like, "Yo, I don't want to go back to school." And Damn. she was like, "She was like, you don't, you don't got to go back, but tomorrow you're going to get a job. And if mm-hmm. you know my mom, if I didn't go back to school, still to this day, I would be hearing about that. Oof. You know what I'm saying? Uh-huh. Yeah, my mom was my mom was like that. She she ruled with an iron fist. Uh-huh. You know what I'm saying? <laughs> so, so then I get back on the train. I uh, catch the the train in North, get on the path to go to Jersey City. So I'm walking back to my dorm. I'm all depressed and everything, and I see a liquor store. I had never drunk alcohol or drugs, anything in high school. 
None of that stuff. I was too arrogant and I was an athlete. I thought you. So I go into the liquor store and I, and I never forget. I saw Mad Dog 2020 strawberry banana in the, in the, in the, uh, in the cabinet, in the refrigerator thing. Mm. So I take it out. I buy it. I sneak it into my dorm. And how old were you at this point? Um, had to be 18. 18. 18. Yeah. So, so you had never smoked, drank, nothing up to nah, the age of 18? Nah, none of that stuff. None of that. Nothing. Nothing. Never and, did none of and that And I'm stuff. sure, I'm sure, though, coming up and training and stuff, it was around. So... Yeah, I, it was around, but I hung out with um, mostly athletes. All we wanted to do was ball and chase girls. Okay. It wasn't really like... That wasn't really never... Never yeah. the, the people I, that wasn't our thing, and back then the hustlers and all of them dudes they protected the athletes, mm, like, so they like they'll sure tell you to go home, yeah, they tell you to get out of here, they wouldn't offer you stuff to drink or none of that kind of stuff. Oh, okay, so, you know what I'm saying? It's kind of different now, but back then that's how the, the hustlers and the dudes around the way they used to protect athletes, uh, man. you know what I'm saying? So, so then I, I uh I drunk the alcohol and it did something to me that I had never felt before. I didn't have to worry about anything. And I felt a, I felt a sense of ease that I had never felt before. So I have, I had thought I found my new best friend. Mm. So, so throughout my whole first year at, uh, at St. Peter's, every time I ran into issues, I just used to drink. Yeah. I didn't understand that that the that the alcohol was actually progressing in my body at that time because I didn't understand like the alcohol alcoholism was a disease and I also didn't know that it ran in my family mm. so I'm drinking thinking I'm having a good time and the past the time in St. Peter's because I it was boring up there because it was a commuter school uh-huh. which means like after 3 30 the campus is like deserted and then it really wasn't a campus because it was smack in the middle of Jersey City Mm. So really, really no campus. So then I had um knew some guys that went to King that I had grew up with. Okay. So I called them up and they told me like, yo, you should come here. Yeah. Like like this school way better. So I transferred from St. Peter's to King. Mm-hmm. And then I was about to play baseball again at King. Okay. But the, the social life at King was so off the hook that I got sucked into that. Mm. So I was like, I'm not here on no scholarship or nothing. Mm-hmm. I might as well just have fun. So then the alcohol really progressing now because everybody's at the school we partying, starting on Thursday over mm-hmm. the weekend. And so now I'm drinking, partying, drinking, partying. But I was always the person that I was responsible because I knew I couldn't come home to my mom without no degree. Mm-hmm. So I used to do my work, but mm-hmm. I, I've, I I enjoyed partying and I really enjoyed the alcohol. I really enjoyed the fun. I, I really enjoyed how it made me feel. Yeah. And um, so the partying continues, continues. You know what I'm saying? Then you throw in the girls, the women, and the, and all of that stuff. And now I just went away from how I was raised in terms of my roots, in terms of really having a God in my life and stuff like that. Now I'm in the world. Yeah. And that's a lot of things that people don't really understand about college. It corrupts you in terms of putting you in a place where there's really no rules. Mm-hmm. And you could just do what you want to do. And you develop a lot of habits that you really don't need. Yeah. 
And a lot you know of stuff that's not that you can't take into the real world outside of college. Exactly. 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 So um party and party and party. I can remember my I think it was my last year, it was the first time I uh a discount out liquor store outlet. And it was called Bayway Liquors. Uh-huh. And um in Elizabeth. And I went there. And I walked in and I felt like them kids that be in Toys R Us when they got the cart <laughs> and they doing the <laughs> So I got this big cart, Jabir, and I'm going down the and I'm going down the aisles and I'm just so happy because I see all this liquor for cheap. Like big bottles. Uh, you know what I mean? I'm just I'm just trying to grab everything and throw it in the cart. You know what I'm saying? Uh-huh. So but little did I know I, I didn't know that the uh alcohol was progressing. Uh-huh. So I eventually graduate from King, then I get out in the world, and I'm partying. Now me and my friends really doing VIP. We doing all that kind of stuff. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. We we uh we are uh, partying it up. Yeah. So then, so then that's when I met my first wife, Janelle. Okay. And, uh, yeah. By this time, I got two incomes, so mm-hmm. I'm I'm basically doing whatever I want to do at any time, partying, drinking, like just living it up. Now I get married to her, I got three incomes. Mm. You know what I'm saying? So okay. now, so now we really partying up. VIP access at all the clubs. We doing all the stuff that 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 we want to do. You feel yeah. what I'm saying? Alcohol steady progressing, steady progressing, steady progressing, steady progressing. And so you then, never taking notice because it's like we just have because it's fun. fun. Nobody's yeah. looking at it at yeah. the Yeah, nah, you know, nah. Everybody's drinking. It's, it's yeah. Crazy. Yeah, and in, and, in, and, in, and, in, and in most of the cases, I'm paying for everything, so ain't nobody got nothing to say. Yeah, ain't nobody going to tell you to stop. <laughs> yeah. So then one night, so then me and her moved down from Marsville. We moved down to Eatontown. We moved down to the shore, mm-hmm. down by where y'all at. You know what I'm saying? Mm-hmm. So then we moved down there. So then one night, me and uh, me and uh, Mr. Wilkins, we drive back to uh Trenton to go to a uh, man. I'm drive back to Trenton to go to a uh party to go to a club in uh what's the name. So we riding back home, and we both was drinking, and he almost hit a car. He almost ran into the back of this car uh-huh. on Route 195, and he and he turned the uh wheel, and, and and we was in the Land Rover, and the Land Rover flipped over about six times. And y'all was in it? Yeah, yeah. So once the car flipped over, I had tucked uh-huh. and I had closed my eyes. Uh-huh. Neither one of us had on seat belts and none of that kind of stuff. Damn. So 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 once the car flipped over all those times, um, I just tucked and closed my eyes. Once I closed my eyes, the car came to a halt after it flipped over all the time and started sliding on the side. Mm. Once the once the truck stopped. I was able to get out the truck because um, the sunroof was open. Mm. But when I opened my eyes, he wasn't in the truck. Whoops. Yeah. So, oh, so you know how that grass is in the middle of 195? Yeah. Luckily, the, the truck stopped right by the side of the, by the grass. So when I stepped out, I stepped onto the grass and I yelled out his name. And he was about a half a mile down the road. Damn. And he was like, and I'm yelling out his name, and he like, stop yelling my name, I'm right here. Yeah. So I'm thinking that the uh I'm thinking that like 
thank God that he that he good. Now, that should have been a sign to me that my life was getting out of control, but I didn't stop. I said, you know what? I was partying and partying, and then the um, – Wait, and, y'all, and you was driving? He was driving. He was driving. Okay. Yeah, yeah, and I was in the passenger seat, but we we had just left hotel in Trenton, so mm-hmm. we was wrecked. You yeah. know what I mean? Y'all was saucy. Yeah, yeah. Mm-hmm. So then, um, um, I told myself I almost died, so I'm really gonna party now. Oh, so then the partying kept going on and on and on, and then man, Johnell separated because I wanted to do my thing, and and um, I was immature. You know what I'm saying? I wasn't really like ready to be married and none of that kind of stuff. I thought I wanted to do what I wanted to do, and then everything seemed like it was. Good life was good, and then September fourteenth, two thousand nine. That's when my life flipped upside down, and yeah. and that's when everything changed. Mm-hmm. And, you know what I mean? And September fourteenth, um, kind of talk about you know a little bit, or you know if, if you want to explain that to people. Yeah, it's cool. It's cool. You know? Um, she didn't come to work. We were supposed to do a project together. You know what I mean? Man, I usually talk. Every day in the morning on the way to work, yeah, she ain't I'm, I'm come to work. And, and um, I, I so, so we were supposed to do the project, so I get to the job, and then once I get to the job, they tell me that she ain't call, and this or that, and then I'm like, wow. So I'm like, if she called, I'm about to go to the homeroom. If she called, call me back, because, uh-huh. man, her got to do this project or whatever. So once homeroom was over, I go to the front of the – I go back to the main office, and they like, she still didn't call. So they was like, do you want to go down and check on her to make sure she's all right? I like, cool. But if she call while I'm gone, call me and I um, turn around. Uh-huh. So I get to her house and then I um, pull up at her house. I see her car in the front. So I feel a little relieved, like uh-huh. maybe she overslept or something like that. You know what I mean? So uh-huh. I, I go to the door, knock on the door. She ain't answer. I yelled out her name. She don't answer. And then I tried the doorknob. Uh-huh. And the doorknob was, and the door was open. So uh-huh. I went in, went in the bedroom, and then I found her on the floor dead. At the time, I didn't know she was dead. I uh-huh. tried to talk to her, shake her a little bit. It wasn't nothing, like she wasn't saying nothing. So then I called nine one one, and then the um, and then the um, but then the police came first. Then the paramedics came, and when the police dude came, he told me she was dead. Yeah. 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 And like, how was you? What was going through your head? Like, I'm pretty was, sure, like, it was probably like surreal. Like, it ain't feel like it was real or something. Yeah, it was like, it was like, um, I didn't know what to do. So, like, I just was like frozen, and then yeah. I just broke down and started screaming. Like, what you mean she dead? And this and this. And then the guy was like, "You got to leave out." So uh-huh. they told me to go out. Then I I sat in the front of the uh. Thing. Then the people from my job came. First, I called after I called the police. I called my mom. Mm-hmm. Then I called um, my friend who I was on the phone with when I went in there. Mm-hmm. Then um, I called the job, mm-hmm. the ladies, and told the people at the job. And then um, and then so I'm, I'm waiting out there. Then the people from the job come. And then the um, then the uh, prosecutors come. Yeah. And then I'm sitting out in the front. Then I just see like all these, um, all these uh, three big, 
four big uh, suburban trucks come around the corner, all black, all black tinted windows. And then all these guys jump out with them suits on, like them forensic suits. Damn. And I'm just sitting on the curb. And then that's when the uh, the prosecutors come up and the guy like, yo, we got to take you uh, to talk to you. So mm. they take me down to um, 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 Neptune City Police Station first. I go to Neptune City Police Station and I sit there for like 40 minutes. Nobody's saying nothing to me or whatever. So then he was like, we got to go to the prosecutor's office. So they take me to the prosecutor's office, the one in Asbury. They got an office in Asbury. So I go there and I'm sitting there and then they let me sit in this room for about, it was just like first 48. They let me sit in this room for about 40 minutes without saying nothing to me. Oh, damn. Yeah. So you been there for 40 minutes and what's going through your head when you were in there for that 40 minutes? I'm just thinking I'm coming there to help them because yeah. I don't know what happened to her. Yeah. You know that? Yeah. You know what I'm saying? So I'm like trying to get them information to, to try to help them or maybe they could tell me what happened. You know what yeah. I mean? I don't know what happened. So <clears throat> while I'm in there, they, um, they, um, they, uh, and, and then what went through my mind was I thought maybe she did something to herself. Cause she had some depressive issues and the fact that we wasn't gonna, that we wasn't together no more. Mm-hmm. So then they talked to me. So then they finally come in and they, and they talked to me and they questioned me and I was in there for two hours. Damn. I didn't know it at the time. I ain't, I ain't find out till I watched the DVD uh, tape. So I was in there for, uh, for, for two hours and then I leave. So I'm thinking like I had, matter of fact, they had took my truck. They had to take my truck to examine it, I guess, or all that kind of stuff. So then I leave and then I'm thinking I'm helping them and this and that. So like two days later, one or two days later, the newspaper article come out and it's like, um, it's like she was found. They didn't say who found her, but in the last paragraph, they was like, she was estranged from her husband mm-hmm. and, and they worked at the same job and their divorce was supposed to be final October 6th. And I said, Oh shit. Mm. That's when I knew that I was the number one suspect in her murder. Damn. And um, so then what happened was my uh this this guy I know that was an attorney, he called me named Ron Ventura. His son played in my tournaments, mm-hmm. my basketball spotlight tournaments. And then um he called me and he was like, Um, I'm I'm gonna uh, represent you pro bono because I know you ain't had nothing to do with this and they're gonna try to really pin this on you. So don't talk to nobody no more or nothing like that. You know what I'm saying? So mm-hmm. then, um, so for the, Ron was protecting me. Then man, him did a, he set up a press conference for me at the newspaper so I could go to the newspaper and the newspaper in the Asbury Park Press so the people could know the kind of person that I was. So I talked to them about my basketball spotlight company. I talked to them about me and her relationship, mm-hmm. all that kind of stuff or whatever. So then, um, that the the case was going on. I couldn't go back to work. Damn. I couldn't um do anything. So that was the first time and the only time in my life that I had contemplated suicide. Um Damn. and uh only reasons I didn't do it was because uh one, I didn't want to put my family through no more pain. Two, I didn't want to go to hell. And three, I knew I didn't do nothing. So I wanted mm-hmm. to see everything through. Yeah. Um but at that time, not being able to go to work, 
not happening. Now, and who said you couldn't go to work? The job. The job was oh, like, yo, you it. need time off. Oh, so, okay. so I had to go home. Now I'm sitting at home and all of this stuff going on. Then the funeral comes around and then the prosecutors came to the funeral. Oh, now, once they came to the funeral, that's when I was like, oh my God. So I'm sitting up in the front, in the front seat, in the front seat with my mom and my mom is talking me and she like yo did you know the day was coming and mm-hmm. then and the three officers was walking down the aisle mm. and i was probably never more scared of my life bro yeah because at this point you thinking like damn they i they really might come get me for this yeah exactly exactly damn. you know what i'm saying so now the whole focus of the funeral switches to what they here for and are they gonna arrest him you know what mm-hmm. I mean? So then, I, uh, after the after the service is over, we go outside and everybody's staring at me when I'm leaving out. Mm-hmm. So now I'm about to get into the limousine and then one of the detectives comes over and says something to me in my ear in front of everybody. Mm-hmm. And what you know what I mean? He, was, he said that, um, yo, we still need to talk to you. Mm-hmm. Now, that's what he said to me, but everybody that's looking, they don't know what he said yeah, to me. Yeah. Now the suspense is getting more. You know what yeah. I'm saying? So... So um, I break down. I call my lawyer on the way to the cemetery. So mm-hmm. he so he calls them and tells them he's gonna file charges of harassment and all of this stuff or whatever. So I go um, I go um, my my life is just like that. So now I go to therapy immediately. Therapy can't really help because there's no conclusion to the situation. So now the I start drinking. No, it ain't no trial. This is I just mean, the beginning. Oh, cause cause the investigation is still Yeah, going. yeah. Okay, so okay. so so um I started drinking again. Uh-huh. And I started drinking and the drinking was helping me to the where I didn't have to really think about it. Mm. You know what I mean? Yeah. So then so for the really so for the next six years, every day I woke up, I didn't know if today was the day they was coming. So I for had to live like years. that. Yeah, for six years. So now, in 2013 rolls around, this in the middle of the six years, mm-hmm. I get a call from my uh, attorney, Ron, and he like, yo, I got bad news. So I'm thinking like, damn, I'm about to go to jail or something. And he like, I got brain cancer. And I'm like, what you mean you got brain cancer? He like, I got brain cancer. So six months later, Ron dies. Oh, shit. Two, two days later, they was knocking on my door. Oh. Telling me to come down and talk to him. And I was mm-hmm. like, well, he told me not not to ever go talk to them. Yeah. You know what I'm saying? So now, during this time around, I want to say, uh, in the middle of around 2010, fall 2000, yeah, around 2010, 2000, yeah, fall 2000, summer 2010, I was allowed to come back to work, but I couldn't go into no schools and I couldn't talk to no kids and I couldn't have no communication with no kids. Mm-hmm. So you I mean, couldn't so work I, at the school no more. I had to work in the board office. Oh, okay. So I'm sitting in the board office every day. So for six years, I saw all those kids growing up and and this and that, and I couldn't have no contact with them, and I couldn't wow. go into schools. Then, um, so they would have different memorials and festivals and all that stuff for her, and I couldn't go to none of that stuff. Damn, and I'm like, I'm sure that had to affect you psychologically. It's yeah, like you yeah, really yeah. Get to mourn your wife. Yeah, yeah. Because you you gotta explain yourself and you gotta feel like you a suspect. 
You know, yeah. you know you didn't do nothing. Like I think it's exactly. crazy that you didn't like lash out and like like really I, I, I lashed out one time <laughs> when I found out that I couldn't go into the schools. What happened was they had brought a kid over. The kid had missed lunch. Mm-hmm. And um they had brought him over to me because he got in trouble. But while he was over there with me, he had missed lunch. Mm-hmm. So the kid was like, yo, Mr. Mellon, I'm hungry. Like, they ain't even let me go to lunch. So then I take him back over to the school. When I'm walking in the school, mad people staring at me, mad funny. Mm-hmm. And I'm like, and then Ms. Turnock was like, what you doing here? And I'm like, what she mean by that? So Ooh. then I go back to the board office and the the secretary, like, Dr. Marana going to call you. She want to talk to you. And I'm like, where? What's this about? So then I leave out for lunch. I get back for lunch. The secretary had put a memo on my desk. Mm. And then I read the memo, and the memo was like, you can't go in those schools. You can't do this. You can't do that. And then Dr. Marana called me on the phone, and that's when I blacked out. Like, I can't believe y'all treating me like this. I didn't do nothing and all this kind of stuff. And it's like, did you think that people really thought you did it? Yeah, yeah. A lot of people thought I did it. Because like, they didn't, because they didn't, because the fact that we was um, all the going through a divorce, around. yeah, all the circumstances around it, you know what I mean? And it just made for a better story. Yeah, yeah. Now, let me, and, t- and, let me ask you this. Was it people close to you or people that you was friends with that, that you felt like thought you did it or stopped talking her family, to family Stuff like that. Her, her family told people that I did it. Wow. Um... Um, the, most people around me, even if they thought I did it, they didn't say nothing to me, Yeah. but you got to understand when this type of thing happens, a lot of people start distancing themselves from you. Yeah. Like, you hear what I'm saying? You could sense people distancing themselves from you. Yeah, exactly. And then everywhere you go, people staring at you, people pointing at you. And this Um, was going on for six years. Yeah, yeah. Damn. I can laugh about it now, but it wasn't funny then, bro. Yeah. I, it, <laughs> and it's like, you yo, know what I, mean? I, I would understand why somebody would be drinking. Like, do you think you're drinking? <laughs> yeah, like, I would be, shit. Um, like, do you think you're drinking intensified through this period? Or do you think oh, you already? No, nah, nah, 100%. Nothing changed. No, nah, 100%. Because it went before I was a, I was a weekend drinker. And stuff mm-hmm. like that. And then when this happened, it, it turned into like a daily thing because I couldn't face everything that was going on. Yeah. Yeah. You know what I mean? Yeah. Yeah. So, so this, so all this stuff going on and, um, and, and, but I was kind of scared that if I didn't, um, and, and, and one of the doctors told me that the drinking kind of helped me in terms of, I, I used to be scared that if I was sober that I would probably go crazy. Mm. You know what I mean? So he said that the uh, alcohol had numbed me. Mm-hmm. And, and it, had, it had numbed my feelings to the point to where I didn't have to, like, super concentrate on what was going on. Uh-huh. You know what I mean? Yeah. It wasn't good for me, but it, it did numb me. It allowed you to kind of get through it. In some yeah, way. yeah. So, so what happened was... Um, Around 2015, this new now it turns into a cold case, and then around 2015, this new detective comes on a case named Scott Sammons. He comes on the case and he calls me and he like, "Yo, Mike, I know what happened. 
No, I'm not. Matter of fact, let me rewind. Let me rewind. All right, before Ron died, um, around 2012. And I was your lawyer. Yeah, around 2012, one of my friends from Asbury, I called him up, and he had um, and he had um, and I was crying and stuff. Yeah. And he was like, um, what's wrong? And I was like, yo, bro, like, I just want to know what happened to her. Like, this stuff is really driving me crazy. So then he was like, so then he took me to the block in Asbury, and we had met up with this guy. The uh-huh. guy was a gang member. And he mm. told the guy, like, yo, this is my man. Yo, like, he just want to know what happened to his wife. Like, this shit is really fucking him up. So once we, the guy was like, all right, come back in two days, and and we're, uh, and we'll let you know. Uh-huh. So, two days come back. I go back over there. Then the guy told me the story about what happened. Mm. Now, um, I offered to give him some money to get some names and all that kind of stuff. He's like, I can't do that. Yeah. But this is what happened to her or whatever. So, two weeks later, Ron calls me. And Ron like, yo, the prosecutors want to talk again. But I think they're trying to set you up. Um, don't, um, I don't really want to go in there and talk to them. But they keep calling this and this, blah, blah, blah. Are you sure you're not hiding nothing? Because don't try to outsmart these dudes. Because I'm like, Ron, I don't, I didn't have nothing to do with this. So yeah. I explained to him over and over, like, I don't know what's, what happened. So then I didn't never tell him what the guy told me. You know what I mean? Because yeah. I didn't want him to be mad at me for doing something. You know what I mean? Yeah. yeah. So, so this is what happened. We get to the prosecutor's office. We walk in. And we sit down, and the first thing they tell me is, we know you was trying to do your own investigation. Mm. So whoever the guy was that was told me, he probably was working for them, too. Mm-hmm. You know what I mean? So then yeah. I look at my lawyer. I'm like, damn, he's going to be mad at me. And he was like, no, nah, I ain't mad at you because that lets them know that you ain't that you yeah, ain't had nothing you ain't to do, do with it. it. Yeah. You know what I'm saying? So 2016, 15 rolls around, Scott gets on the case. And Scott calls me, and he's like, yo, Mike. I know you ain't had nothing to do with this. So this but is need... a new lawyer, or no, a, a new no, a Wait, new detective. All right, but slow down. What happened after Ron, your lawyer, died? Oh, you I didn't have no attorney. You or just nothing. ain't have no no nobody helping. Nah, nah. He told me. He just told me don't don't talk to them. Mm. So, so I just tried was, to avoid that them. That's what uh, you remembered. Yeah. So mm-hmm. I just tried to avoid them for all that time. Mm-hmm. So then Scott Scott gets on the case and Scott was like, "Yo, Mike, I um I know you ain't got nothing to do with this, but I need to talk to you because they messed the investigation up, and I want to get these guys." So then it took me a year to talk to Scott because I ain't trust him at first. Mm. So then me and Scott. So then I get an attorney mm-hmm. and I go sit down and I talk to Scott and uh Freehold, mm-hmm. and we sat down and talked. And then Scott was like, um. Scott was like, um, this is what happened to your wife. She lived next door to some drug dealers. Uh-huh. And, the, and the drug dealer uh, had some money in the freezer. Uh-huh. And, his, and, his, and his girlfriend was at a party running her mouth. Uh-huh. And some, and some stick-up boys heard about the money. And mm. they went to rob them, and they went to the wrong house. Mm. That's what happened to your wife. So I'm like, damn. Like, Part of me is happy because they know I didn't do it. But part yeah. of me is it's like, messed up damn. that she had to, yeah, that she had to lose her life over fifteen thousand dollars. You know what I mean? Yeah, and so then, it's a mistake. It's like, yeah, didn't even go to the right house. Yeah, so then, 
So then I'm like, you know what? This thing is this this thing is solved. We had a press conference and all that stuff. So then I'm like, um, no, we had did we had a press conference? I don't know if we had the press conference or whatever. So I'm like, you know what? You got Mike. You've been sipping too much. This and this. You need to go uh go get some help. Mm-hmm. So I jump on a the plane. Then I go down to uh to Florida to uh, rehab. Yeah, now what was my first the point? Time. What was the point that got you to like, yo, bro, you really this this ain't this ain't right. You gotta go and get yourself because together. I was because I couldn't wait to get home so I could drink every day. Damn, every day, every day. And what you were you drinking? Syrah. Syrah, and how much would you drink? At that point, I was drinking about maybe a pint, maybe a pint and a half, two pints a day. Two pints of Ciroc a day. Yeah, yeah. At that, at at that point, like almost two pints or whatever. So, mm-hmm. so I go down to rehab. I go mm-hmm. five days detox, mm-hmm. and then I check into the rehab. And mm-hmm. once I check into the rehab, I have I had uh, went to a meeting. And mm-hmm. once I went to the meeting, I made a near fatal mistake. I compared myself to the people in there instead of identifying with them. Mm. I heard dudes. I heard dudes talking about how much they drank. One dude was like, he drank 1.75 liters a day, and I knew that was a half a gallon. I was like, I'm not like him. Yeah. And then it was another dude that said he drank like hand sanitizers and hairspray and all of this Ooh. stuff. And I'm like, I'm not like him. And then That's another dude, him. then another dude asked me like, what do you drink in the morning? And I was like, I don't drink in the morning. So, uh-huh. I, so I, I told myself that I didn't belong there. Mm. Like when people go to jail and shit. Yeah. So like, then, oh, I ain't really do it or shit. <laughs> yeah. So uh-huh. then, um, once I um, once I told myself I didn't belong there, I turned off my ability to learn. Mm-hmm. I didn't. I didn't. I didn't listen to. I didn't listen to in clinical. I never opened the book. Mm. I never knew about the steps. I never did. I never did no work. Because you, know I mean? you thought that was a place for. People who were more progressed than you, you thought yeah. you weren't as bad as them. Yeah, yeah, and that was a mistake. Mm-hmm. So then I um I told myself I'm only here for therapy because my wife had got killed. Mm-hmm. So, so and I can remember this guy was there named Chris, this this therapist. And he was mm-hmm. like, and he was, and he kept tapping on the chair one day, and I said, uh-huh. well, Chris, why are you tapping on that chair? He said, because I'm saving this for you because you ain't do here, and you coming back. <laughs> And he said, Damn. when you come back, he said, when you come back, you're going to be drinking twice as much. And I, and I, and I looked at him and I laughed and I was like, man, I ain't coming back here. You must've lost your mind. So uh-huh. I was so arrogant. My cousin lived in Fort Lauderdale, Florida. Uh-huh. So I called my cousin. The, um, I told the people I was supposed to get out Saturday morning. Uh-huh. I, I convinced them to let me out Friday night. Cause I was uh-huh. like, mama spend the night in here for nothing. Yeah. So, once my cousin came to the rehab and picked me up, he was like, what you want to do? Uh-huh. I'm like, yo, I'm like, yo, I ain't been really around women like that. Let's go to the strip club. Uh-huh. So uh-huh. I leave from the rehab and go directly to a strip club. Damn. <laughs> so you know who I was like, at? What the hell? That's yeah, so, 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 so you know, once he was at, um, I'm at the strip club, you know, uh-huh. I picked up a drink. Cause I'm, yeah. I don't know I'm really supposed to stop. So now I'm yeah. drinking the strip club. I drink at the strip club or whatever. So now when I get back, 
my uh, I had a fiance at the time when I got back to New Jersey. Mm-hmm. So she, so so I, I I land and then she like, yo, you don't really gotta stop. You could just be a social drinker, and that's all I needed to hear. Oh, you know what I mean? I'm like, uh-huh. bet. You know what I mean? So <laughs> somebody approve it of so, it and shit. So so then we go to Delaware State Homecoming. Of course, I'm drinking there. Then we uh, then everything is cool. I'm thinking my life is regular, regular, regular. So then I get another call from the um, prosecutors again. Mm. This one I'm home, mm. and they like, "Yo, Mike, we got to go to trial." Mm. And uh, mm-hmm. and I'm like, "What you mean? I thought this said they said we got to go to trial." And they mm-hmm. said, "Um, why? Because you the one that found her." Mm. You know what I mean, and and then um and they and, and they needed you in the trial for the gang members. They needed you to say that you found her. No, nah, the the I was I was testifying for the prosecution. Okay. And they uh, told me that the that the gang members' lawyers were gonna say that I did it. Mm, it was you gonna try I mean? to put it on you. Yeah. So now I got scared. Yeah. Now since I don't have no program. A recovery or not like that, you know what I did when I got scared. Yeah, I started drinking again. Grab the bottle now. Before yeah. this, before the call, you had said you were social, you had turned into a social drinker. So, was that meaning that you was only drinking when you was out and stuff? Yeah, yeah, and I tried to control it. I didn't mm. know that I already had the disease. Mm. You know so, what I mean? So, soon as some, so soon as some trouble came in my life. Uh-huh. I ain't have no control no more. And since that was the pattern you always had, yeah, you was eighteen. It was just like this, yeah. this is what we do. Yeah. So uh-huh. then now the drinking intensifies, and it took us four years to get to trial. Mm, damn. Because they kept postponing, 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 postponing. Uh-huh. You know what I mean? So then, um, so then we finally get to trial. I go on to uh. I go on the stand. I do what I need to do. And then um, this one, my higher powers came into my life. Um, the verdict came down on my birthday, mm. March 12th. Mm. And um, all three guys guilty on all charges. Mm. So now, you know, in my mind, I'm thinking like, God, God did this so I could go party. <laughs> you know what I mean? Now, <laughs> like, what the hell? <laughs> yeah. yeah, that's what I was thinking. I'm uh-huh. just keeping it real with you. So, yeah, nah, so then, mm-hmm. so then, um, but but by that time, now I'm drinking around the clock because I retired from work. Because mm. they told me I needed to retire because I had PTSD. Oh dang! So, yeah, so now I'm retired from work. So now I'm drinking around the clock. Mm. So then two weeks later, my wife at the time, she um threw me a party in Atlantic City. We mm-hmm. had the party and all her friends bring Ciroc. Mm-hmm. Everybody bring a Ciroc. And then that night, that's when I had the DTs. And um, that's like when you see the DTs, when you get the DTs, you'd be hallucinating and stuff. Mm-hmm. So it had got that bad. So. One of my friends was sitting next to me. And you was I, drinking. You got yeah. you start hallucinating from drinking. Yeah, yeah. Oh, so wow. one of my friends was sitting next to me and I turned to look at him and he looked like a demon. Mm. And I got scared. 
You know what I'm saying? Mm-hmm. And then I told myself that I wasn't going to drink again. Did and you tell I, anybody about what you nah, saw? Nah, nah. You, uh, you might have thought you was going crazy or something? Yeah, yeah. Mm-hmm. So then I went and laid down, and then I woke up, and I said I wasn't going to I was gonna not ever drink again, but I couldn't stop. Yeah. Now I'm really drinking around the clock, drinking, drinking, going to the hospital. Like when you wake up, type shit. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So then, and, um, and at this point though, how much was you drinking a day? Uh, I was definitely drinking like a fifth and a half. A fifth and a half of vodka. Yeah, 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 yeah. Pineapple syrup. So like you get up, I gotta get take a drink. You get yeah. I go to the liquor store. They had came out with them with them uh airplane bottles, but the uh-huh. airplane bottles was in a box. Uh, and oh a whole, shit! And a whole box equal a fifth. Mm. You know what I mean? So I was drinking like a box of them, and then like a half. Damn. Yeah. Ooh. So then, so then um, mm-hmm. one night. I just couldn't take it no more. Then I had got on my knees in the basement and I and I said, God, please help me or take me. Tune in to the next episode for part two.